0: Good morning. It is Kale and Company Live right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Great to have you with us on this Wednesday, the 6th of September. Already the 6th of September? Time flies when you're having fun. Great to have you with us. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Northeast Delta Dental has individual and family plans designed to fit your lifestyle. You can learn more and find your plan at deltadentalcoversme.com. And uh, Delta Dental President and CEO Tom Raffio will be in studio Friday for the Fun Bunch with our resident flick chick, Kitty Ray. And uh, we will be starting our NFL picks. Because you know what? The NFL season begins on Thursday night as the uh, defending Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs will be hosting the Detroit Lions at Arrowhead Stadium in Kansas City. So uh, we won't be predicting that game because that will be in the, uh, the rearview mirror by the time we get on the air Friday morning. Uh, but we will have uh, five predictions uh, every week. Uh, Right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. Speaking of football, which uh, kicks off in, what, 36 hours from just about now uh, in Kansas City. One of the great, uh, and I do mean great football writers of all time, is going to be with us today, uh, just about 8.35 uh, this morning. John Eisenberg, listen to this guy's resume. Uh, The author of 11 books, including the one uh, that we're going to discuss today, uh, he won nearly two dozen writing awards uh, at the Baltimore Sun uh, newspaper. He wrote 5,000 columns over three decades for the Baltimore Sun. And he lives in Baltimore. And the book is, and this was just out yesterday. This hit the streets yesterday, folks. And I have a copy of it right now in my hand. Rocket Men, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. So uh, there you have it. As we uh, begin another NFL season, how many how many games do you think the Pats are going to win this year? I I said to somebody yesterday, I think they're either going to go eight and nine on the season or nine and eight. I think they'll be somewhere right there in the in the heart of mediocrity for the New England Patriots uh, this year. The division has improved uh, just with the presence of uh, Aaron Rodgers playing for the New York Jets. you got to think they're going to be better. Buffalo's been good for a while, and uh, Miami is um, on the upswing. So it's a tough division, maybe the toughest in all of the NFL, the AFC East, but we'll see how it plays out. And uh, today, by the way, September 6th, is Barbie doll day. Today is Barbie doll day. I'll tell you, Barbie, the movie, has uh, has made a killing at the box office. Uh, our producer, Kat Martinez, who had her name in the paper today, and we'll tell you why in a second. Did you ever have Barbies when you were growing up? Oh, yes. Oh,
1: yeah. My my mother collected them too. Oh, wow. Yeah, she never opened the boxes. She just kept the really nice ah, designer kind of... Barbies. Wow. Wow. <laughs> that stands that, for them too. That
0: is something. That That is really something. It's so, a real hobby. Yeah, no, it really is. And uh, those uh, should be worth something at this time.
1: Because oh, probably. It,
0: yeah, so did you see the Barbie movie?
1: I did. Yeah, what did you think of it? Um, you know, it was cute. It was cute. Um, very nostalgic and I liked the message. I think for me personally, and this is just personal opinion, I think sometimes the message can be too much and I I felt it was a little overkill at times. You know, we kind of got the point of when it came to like misogyny and, you know, women empowerment and, um, I get it. But sometimes I just feel like the message can be too hard,
0: too over <laughs> the top. Too, huh?
1: You know, we're looking for equality. We're not looking to be better than anybody. You know, and I think that's always just been my opinion on that. So I was like, okay, we get it. Like, let's move. Let's just, move on to something else. You don't have
0: to bang us over the head with it, yeah, right? Yeah, you know.
1: And this is coming from a woman, so you <laughs> know.
0: You know, I have to tell you, I I was I have to say I was in the theater for the showing of the Barbie movie. Mm-hmm. It was late on a Sunday night. And uh, I was in Virginia, oh. and uh, it had been a long day, and uh, the movie didn't start till like 10 o'clock at night. I had a flight to catch the, the next morning, but nonetheless, I found myself in the theater in Virginia uh, at the Barbie movie, but you know what? The fact of the matter is, I, I slept through most of it.
1: Oh, no. I slept
0: through most of it.
1: Well, I mean, you didn't have Barbies, Right.
0: I did not, yeah. I, I, you know, and I didn't even have the Ken doll, you know? I didn't even <laughs> have the Ken doll. So
1: that's probably why. Uh, yeah, yeah. It was more nostalgic uh, for us, us ladies. Uh, I, I
0: guess. And it wasn't nothing against the movie. It was uh-huh. just at the end of a long day. Mm. That's all. And uh, It was a good movie. It, yeah, no, and it's done, you know, great numbers at the box office, has beaten all the competition really to a, to a pulp and uh you know it's it's uh, you know i'm not knocking the movie and you know it's been you know the reviewers including our own kitty ray liked it very much she was there with me she stayed awake i fell asleep <laughs>
1: uh,
0: but uh, it was uh, it was a, a you know movie that has done very very well yeah. at the box office and maybe just maybe i'll, I'll see it I mean, it's got to be on TV eventually, right? Mm-hmm. So I'll, I'll go watch it on TV when it gets there.
1: I like Ryan Gosling singing.
0: Oh, yeah. He yeah. has a
1: band. I didn't know that he had like a spooky a spooky band.
0: I I did not know that either. Yeah. I did not know that. I don't remember that. the
1: name of it, but...
0: He's a very talented guy.
1: I'm pretty sure he sang in the Conjuring movie, too. Wow. I think his band sang in the Conjuring movie, yeah.
0: I, I did not know that. Yeah. See, you know... I, even I learn, you know, every day, this this show is a learning experience. You never know what you're going to learn uh, on this show. Uh, in addition to being Barbie doll day, it's fight procrastination day. I'm doing that all the time. Yeah. I, I always put things off mostly to the last minute.
1: It's true. You uh, know, I'll, I heard something once for me because I have such a bad habit of letting things pile up at home. <laughs> Little tidbit of information here from Kat. There you go. But I I heard something that changed my life. And it said, Don't put it down, put it away.
0: Don't put it down, put Put it away. away. And
1: I was like, Okay, I hear you. I get it. You know, because when you put it down, things pile up and then it gets overwhelming. So even if you're tired, don't put it down, put it away. And then you don't have to worry about it. There you go. It was so great. It was so (laughs) life changing.
0: (laughs) It's also National Read a Book Day. And uh, we have an author on, appropriately enough, today at 8:35, who has a new book out. But here's the one that I, I will definitely be celebrating today. There is no doubt about it in my mind that I will be celebrating this day, National Coffee Ice Cream Day. Ooh. What, what a great day it is. It's always a great day for coffee ice cream, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And I, I went to this place a couple of weeks ago uh, in uh, Quiche Gorge, Vermont, and I got some incredible, incredible maple syrup. And since that time, since that time, I've been putting this, uh, this, this syrup was aged in bourbon barrels. This maple syrup was aged in bourbon barrels. And ever since I've had it, I actually have put it on pancakes, but I've also been putting it on uh, ice cream. So this maple syrup on uh, vanilla ice cream is terrific. So I'm going to try to put the maple syrup on coffee ice cream today. And I think I'll succeed. I think I'll be able to do that.
1: That sounds Putting delicious. Putting the maple
0: syrup on coffee ice cream. Wow. I'm going to try that combo today. It's great on the vanilla ice cream, and I'm sure it will be equally as delicious on uh, the coffee ice cream as we celebrate National Coffee Ice Cream Day. And you know what? I open up the paper this morning Turn to page A five. And whose name do I see in the paper? None other than Cap Martinez. <laughs> Curtain Up. And then I then I come into work today and I see a poster in the studio, Curtain Up, an evening of music coming up this Saturday evening, eight o'clock. And it's going to be at the Scenic Theater, beautiful spot, Six Depot Street in Pittsfield. And they have done a great job. Uh, refurbishing that theater in Pittsfield 8 o'clock and uh, tickets are very reasonable mm-hmm. And uh, tell, tell us about what you can expect if, if you show up for this event
1: Yeah, so it's a, it's a fundraising event um, Pittsfield players recently installed um, HVAC within their building Which is great, which means we can start to have a summer program now Because it's, it's a historic building, so it gets hot Um, But we're trying to raise money um, to cover the cost of the HVAC that we just installed in the theater. So we're doing a musical review, kind of journeying through music theater, um, new and old. And it's a a wonderful production. We have about 16 people on stage in costume and uh, a lot of familiar tunes. Wow.
0: Lots of good show tunes, I hope.
1: Oh, yes. All, All right. the good ones.
0: All the good ones. And uh, very happy to say that uh, WKXL and HTalkRadio.com is one of the uh, proud sponsors of uh, this event at the Scenic Theater in uh, Pittsfield. So that is terrific. And we'll remind you of it again, Saturday night, 8 to 10. And if you have not uh, seen the uh, Scenic Theater in uh, Pittsfield recently, uh, you owe it to yourself. It's been through a lot over the years. But it's uh, still a a great, great venue, probably better than ever right now, especially with that new HVAC system in there. So we'll take a break. Kale & Company continues right here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com. We are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. We will be right back. Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com looking forward to our conversation this morning with John Eisenberg and he is one of the really one of the renowned uh, football writers uh, in the country and he's going to tell us about the history of the black quarterbacks in the uh, national football league and uh, we will have him on at 8:35 this morning want to remind you that the annual dare classic 5k road race is holding its 31st event tonight at New Hampshire Motor Speedway in Loudoun, the race will start at 625. Most will run it. Some will walk it. I will be in that latter category. I'll be walking around the track tonight uh, as it darkens over New Hampshire Motor Speedway. And uh, I, I tell you what, this, is, this event is the main funding source for DARE in New Hampshire and it allows Dare to hold officer training each year for officers interest, interested in uh, teaching the drug awareness uh, in New England. The Dare program has been around for a long time, and it's offered uh, nationwide as well. It also uh, allows to provide uh, workbooks and resources to trained officers at no cost to keep them to keep uh, Dare alive in our public schools and. I think we probably need it uh, more now than ever before. This is a a kid-friendly event. It begins with a one-mile, a one-mile kids' fun run around the racetrack. There will also be uh, demonstrations by the New Hampshire State Police canine team, uh, motorcycles, drill team, as well as uh, displays from uh, state police. So we look forward to seeing as many participants as possible at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. You can register right at the event at uh, 4 o'clock. Registration begins at 4 o'clock at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. So if you've uh, always wanted to go on that track where the uh, NASCAR drivers do what they do uh, here in uh, New Hampshire, and they've been doing it for a long time now, at the Magic Mile, You can walk the Magic Mile or run the Magic Mile tonight starting at 625. Registration, again, begins at 4. There'll be some food. There'll be some uh, raffles going on. It'll be a lot of fun. So, And if if you're not a runner like me, if you saw me, you know I'm not a runner. Uh, But uh, I have become a walker. Uh, in in some of these races that uh, not only state police, but uh, Northeast Delta Dental uh, is involved in. And uh, it's great. So uh, walk walk three miles. Walk around the track three times, and you've accomplished uh, three miles. So looking forward to that this evening at New Hampshire Motor Speedway. Well, President Biden is being accused of being disrespectful after he quickly exited the East Room of the White House before the conclusion of a Medal of Honor ceremony honoring a Vietnam veteran on Tuesday. The 80-year-old Biden abruptly left the ceremony after fastening the nation's highest military decoration around the neck of retired Army Captain Larry Taylor, who's 81. Before the, He left before the uh, closing benediction was delivered, by Chaplain Brigadier General William Green, Jr. Military veteran slammed Biden afterward, arguing that the commander-in-chief showed a startling lack of respect. Former Navy SEAL and podcast host Sean Ryan said, Pardon my French, but what a blanking idiot. The continuous lack of respect Biden has shown for the military and for uh, just people at large is is appalling. Hawaii, service members, active shooter victims, the list goes on. Well, Wesley Hunt, Republican from uh, Texas, representative, at least he didn't uh, check his watch this time. Uh, Of course, uh, he did check his watch uh, when he appeared to glance at his timepiece during a solemn ceremony for the 13 U.S. troops. Uh, killed in the August 21 terror attack near the uh, Kabul airport in Afghanistan. You'll remember that visual. Some questioned whether Biden's sudden departure was preplanned or another case of uh, the president being unsure of where to go after giving public remarks. Some asked if uh, he thought it was done on purpose or just uh, you know one of his more senile moments. According to... Uh, Gun owners of America, state director for Indiana, Tim Harmson, he said, uh, I think the guy is so self-absorbed he makes blunders like this. This man is a massive embarrassment to our nation, according to uh, Tim Harmsman of uh, the Indiana Gun Owners of America Association. The White House, by the way, surprisingly, <clears throat> uh, did not immediately respond to the uh, New York Post's request. For comment, Uh, Mr. Taylor was uh, awarded the Medal of Honor for his heroics during a June 1968 battle in Vietnam. The distinguished helicopter pilot braved intense ground fire for 45 minutes while making low-level attack runs. And uh, so he was given the Medal of Honor yesterday, and uh, deservedly so, using his two-man Cobra helicopter something that had never been accomplished or even attempted over the course of the war, with complete disregard for his personal safety, all while braving enemy gunfire. So congratulations to uh, Mr. Taylor, who served his country well in uh, Vietnam. President checked out early, but he's pretty much uh, checked out, period. (laughs) It's true, folks. He is pretty much checked out of uh, his duties and, and responsibilities as president of the United States. Tropical Storm Lee was approaching hurricane strength early today and is expected to rapidly intensify into an extremely dangerous hurricane by the weekend, according to the National Hurricane Center. Continued steady to rapid strengthening is forecast, and Lee is expected to become a hurricane later today and a major hurricane in a couple of days, according to the National Hurricane Center. Forecasters say it's too soon to project where Lee is headed in the U.S., but for now, the Leeward uh, Islands, where the Caribbean and Atlantic meet, should stay alert in those Leeward Islands. Lee could uh, impact the Leewards this weekend, according to the Hurricane Center. As of 5 o'clock this morning, Lee's center was some 1,265 miles east-southeast of the northern leewards, moving west-northwest at 14 miles per hour, and packing maximum sustained winds of 65 miles per hour, a pickup of 15 miles per hour in mere hours. Once lee's maximum sustained winds hit 74 miles per hour, it will be designated as a hurricane. And, of course, this comes just days after hurricane, Idalia left a path of destruction across the southeast. The storm made landfall uh, on a Wednesday in Florida where it raised homes and downed power poles. It then headed uh, northeast, slamming Georgia, flooding many of South Carolina's beachfronts and sending seawater into the streets of downtown Charleston. North Carolina got uh, more than nine inches of rain on Whiteville flooding downtown buildings. Uh, Adalia claimed at least two lives, one in Florida and the other in Georgia. Adalia's uh, impact from damage and lost economy activity is expected to be in the 12 to $20 billion range, according to uh, Moody's Analytics. But Adalia is a, a thing of the past, and now we have to worry about what is now Tropical Storm Lee. But they predict pretty soon it will be Hurricane Lee battering the Leeward Islands. Hey, if you missed it last night, what a wacky, sloppy game at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg and ultimately won by the Tampa Bay Rays, 8-6 to six over the Red Sox. Brandon Lau belted a three-run walk-off homer in the bottom of the 11th inning off Kenley Jansen. Red Sox losers last night. They also lost a half game in the wild card race. They now Five and back of Toronto for the uh, third and final American League wildcard spot. Rubber game of the series tonight will be played at Tropicana Field in St. Petersburg, Florida. And Patriots defensive back Jack Jones is going to serve one year of probation and 48 hours of community service as prosecutors dropped eight of nine weapons charges Jones was facing. 30 years in prison for allegedly trying to carry two loaded guns onto a flight at Boston's Logan Airport. So Jack Jones, eligible now to be in the secondary for the New England Patriots when they start their season Sunday at home against the Philadelphia Eagles on Tom Brady Day. All right, we'll take a break. Kale & Company will continue after these words. We'll be joined by the great John Eisenberg talking about his new book, Rocket Men, the black quarterbacks who Revol- uh, revolutionized pro football. We'll talk with John right after these words. Kale & Company live presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Welcome back. It is Kale & Company live here on WKXL, nhtalkradio.com, presented by Northeast Delta Dental. And uh, I am thrilled to be uh, bringing on one of the uh, great football writers of our time, and that would be uh, John Eisenberg. John, uh, welcome to the program. Great to have you with us. Oh,
2: thank you. It's nice to be with you.
0: And John is the author of 11 books now and has won nearly uh, two dozen writing awards at the Baltimore Sun where he wrote 5,000 columns over three decades. Latest book just out. I think it just came out yesterday. It's called Rocket Men, The Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. And, John, why did it take so long for the uh, modern-day NFL as we know it to to break the quarterback color barrier?
2: Well, I I think... uh... It goes without saying. Uh, really, there were just many, many years of denial by stereotype, uh, tough but true, uh, that uh, you know there were uh, the league where the owners are 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 white, uh, all white still uh, for the most part. Uh, the uh, coaches and general managers, the decision makers, white. Uh, there was a skepticism, even as the league integrated uh, in the '60s, the '70s, the '80s. And uh, you saw black players at other positions. Uh, these teams were afraid to give uh, black players, basically, the key to the offense and let them call signals. Uh, there was concern, I mean, uh, that they weren't smart enough, that they wouldn't lead, that they wouldn't work hard enough. Just uh, the classic, there's no other way to put it, institutional racism that uh, uh, that that denied them and took decades uh, of, of success of, of other guys uh, finally getting a chance. Improving those uh, those those stereotypes wrong. So it just it just took a long time.
0: As if it didn't take intellect to play other positions.
2: <laughs> I mean, really. Right. Right. I, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes. Well, you also didn't see them playing center or middle linebacker uh, from uh, the, going back to the '60s, the '70s. There was also a bit of a color line at those positions. Yeah. Uh, where, Anywhere where there had to be signals called or, or responsibility, there was just a hesitancy to give them that shot, and quarterback was just the most prominent.
0: Well, as you pointed out, uh, virtually every black quarterback in the, in the annals of the NFL has faced stereotyping and uh, institutional racism, uh, beginning with the very first black quarterback in NFL history, uh, Fritz, Polland, and, uh, Fritz Pollard, I should say. Uh, tell us uh, a little bit about Fritz's saga, John.
2: Well, Fritz, we're going back a century here. Uh was was one of the great uh players of the first years of the NFL. Uh he was a little scatback. Uh he 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 went to Brown uh in uh, Providence and uh and he'd come out of Chicago and was a great little runner. Uh, could also play quarterback and, and throw the ball. And at a game in 1923, of course, football, offensive football, was very different then. quarterback was really not even a prominent position. It was more the tailback, sort of the offense ran through the tailback. But uh, he played quarterback. It's in a box score, and it's really the first time you see a black player at quarterback. And so he, Fritz, is a, is a real historical figure. He, he was also the first black coach in NFL history, he was the first, one of the first black inductees into the College Football Hall of Fame, and lived a long life of uh, busting down barriers. A fascinating figure,
0: and was inducted in the uh, Pro Football Hall of Fame in two thousand five, posthumously. Uh, that was uh, the story of Fritz uh, Pollard, the uh, first uh, official uh, black quarterback in uh, in National Football League history. Uh, the book, as you say, that goes back over a century. Uh, that we're talking about Fritz. Uh, the book of almost 400 pages covers over a century. Uh, how many interviews uh, did you conduct? And um, and among them, who, who were some of your favorites?
2: Well, I got it's more fingers than I have. It was a lot of interviews. I'm sure. Uh, and so a lot of guys. It's uh, interesting in this uh, day and age, and I've been in the sports journalism business for a long time. It's harder and harder to get people to talk to you now. But is it, I is still, it really? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, it definitely is. Uh But, uh, you know, I still got a lot of guys and uh, certainly the ones that stood out to me, the pioneers that dealt with so much. And I think uh, a guy like Warren Moon, uh, who's in the Hall of Fame, I think he can hardly believe he's a pioneer. I mean, he's still, uh, uh, you know, he's in his 60s and very active, uh, but he broke down a lot of barriers. Doug Williams, the first black quarterback to win a Super Bowl. uh, He was a great interview. I have to say James Harris who some fans may remember, played for the several years for the Los Angeles Rams in the 70s uh, and really was the first modern black starting quarterback for it, that a team gave a shot to. Uh, he wound up being an a, a NFL executive, was in the league for many years. and uh, I interviewed him for a long time. And the stories of what he dealt with after being drafted by the Buffalo Bills in 1969, same year as O.J. Simpson, and going to Buffalo as a young black quarterback out of the South had never been around white people and just he he just re- lays out a story it's almost a book in itself what happened when he went up there without a contract trying to get a job needed some spending money and the team gave him a job cleaning his teammates' cleats mm. uh, and so what he dealt with uh, I think today's players cannot would not believe but uh, he tells a great story and is an amazing figure.
0: Yeah, it really is. But he he almost uh, quit before uh, he even started.
2: Yes, well, uh, James Harris was six foot four, two hundred and ten pounds, big arm, could command, and a you know dean's list student had everything. Uh, if he had been white in uh, nineteen sixty nine, he would have gone high in the draft. But as it was, he went in the eighth round after a lot of guys he knew he was better than. After a lot of guys who who never made it in the NFL. Uh, and it took him five or – I mean, he – when he went in the eighth round, he was just frustrated. He, he was like he had spent four years a-grambling Eddie Robinson, the legendary.
0: Sounds like we uh, have lost John Eisenberg. No, that's not a good thing. Uh, John Eisenberg uh, with us this morning. Uh, praise uh, for his book is coming in from all corners – It's called Rocket Men, the uh, Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized Pro Football. Terrific book, which just hit the stores and uh, the uh, Internet Uh, yesterday. It is a uh, terrific read and uh, certainly uh, details uh, the the plight of the uh, black quarterback in the National Football League. And in the early years and uh, really up until uh, the 70s, uh, they were not treated with uh, much respect uh, by ownership and uh, coaches, and uh, uh, you know many folks uh, that were connected to the National Football League. Ken, I, and, yes, I
1: think we have John back on the line.
0: All right, John Eisenberg is back. Sorry about that, John. Uh, oh, no problem ta- at all. Talking about James Harris's, uh, uh, you know, experience in, in Buffalo. I don't think they would have had O.J. Simpson cleaning cleats.
2: No, no. <laughs> <laughs> James' James's experience, no, uh, O.J., when O.J. came in for rookie camp, they put him up at the Hilton, and they put James Harris up at the Y. Uh, the room yeah. cost $6 a night, so uh, it's quite a tale.
0: Yeah, yeah, it really and, and truly is, and, and again, uh, I think he was warned by his, his college coach, Eddie Robinson, at, at Grambling, that uh, times would be tough for him.
2: Yes, Uh James really took it on. There were no black quarterbacks in the NFL and pro football, and of course, this was an AFL team. Yeah, uh, that's worth noting. Still, Buffalo. So the NFL uh, definitely still skeptical. That was right before the merger, uh, which was in 1970. But uh, yes, it it just uh, uh, th- those first guys uh, that took it on really carried the brunt of dealt with a you know hate mail and un- the the total disbelief that they could do the job and uh, had to overcome that it's an amazing story
0: yeah no it it truly is and uh you know the the position of quarterback has long been glamorized i mean uh, for decades and decades and and that was pretty much used uh, the uh, glamorization of the position uh, used to exclude the black players
2: well it was uh it, it uh I mean, the NFL was all white, just like Major League Baseball, from 1934 till after World War II. Uh, there was a basically a de facto color line, and then slowly reintegrated, sort of in the same years as Major League Baseball. Uh, but w- as it reintegrated, uh, the team said, "Well, we'll take a black player who's fast and can be a running back or a defensive back or a receiver, but uh, you know, not a quarterback." Uh, we don't want guys that, you know, we're not going to give uh, the keys to the offense to them. And so in those of the years when when uh, uh, pro football was changing and passing games were becoming in vogue and the position did become glamorous, no question about it. Uh, and uh, I think uh, you became sort of the face of the franchise if you were the quarterback. And I think teams were reluctant to... Uh, to give that to that opportunity to black players, uh, you know, it was just teams were uncomfortable with that, and uh, so you just saw that continue. The, glamor- the glamorization of the position worked against them.
0: John Eisenberg is with us. John, can you stay with us for a couple of minutes? Sure thing. All right, we have to take a quick break. The new book just out, hot off the press: Rocket Men, the Black Quarterbacks Who Revolutionized pro football and john is going to stay with us and we'll have more with john eisenberg right after this break it's kale and company live here on wkxl nhtalkradio.com presented by northeast delta dental we'll be right back welcome back kale and company live here on wkxl nhtalkradio.com john eisenberg is with us one of the uh, great football writers of our day or any generation. Rocket Man is his new book, The Black Quarterbacks Who uh, Revolutionized Pro Football. And, uh, John, I know you had some uh, great behind-the-scenes access to uh, players, coaches, uh, insiders who uh, helped take the reader inside the uh, evolution of race relations in, in pro football. I know one of the uh, the gentlemen you talked with was was Upton Bell, who was uh, at one time general manager of the Patriots. But uh, he he has kind of a unique perspective, I would have to think, uh, being involved in the league himself and, of course, having uh, his father, Burt Bell, as uh, at one time commissioner of the National Football League.
2: Well, Upton is one of my favorite people, honestly, and uh, is just an incredible resource for someone like me who likes to write about – football history and uh, sort of savors it. Upton really carries that flame of the old NFL, and he was an eyewitness to so much, and he imparts it so well. He tells a great story and uh, has so much to say. In this book, I, my prior book, The League, uh, uh, about the early days of the NFL and the owners who carried the the ball, uh, uh, really, through the years when the NFL almost failed, his father being one of them, uh, Upton was a tremendous help. Uh, you know, really, his father was one of the main figures in that book. Uh, in this book, I used uh, Upton in his role as a young scout with the Baltimore Colts in the 1960s. Uh, he was, uh, you know, his father had passed away, and he was getting into football himself beginning a career that did end with him being uh, the general manager of the Patriots and then settling in new England. But uh, as a, as a young scout, of course, this is where the whole narrative of the black quarterbacks changed was the eyes on these guys, uh, you know, began to change uh, the, just uh, Upton was a young guy. A lot of the scouts were older guys and sort of had these preconceived notions that we discussed earlier, you know, that that they didn't think black quarterbacks could lead or think or run an offense and Upton, in his um, twenties, a child of the sixties, in many respects, much more open-minded and sees these black quarterbacks differently. And uh, the talent that they had and that that they were being denied. And so guys like that sort of began, he started drafting black quarterbacks when he had a chance. And so uh, he's uh, in many respects, the, a seminal figure in this story, even though, I mean, he's not in it for a long time, but uh, he represents how the league slowly began to change uh, its perceptions of black quarterbacks.
0: Well, the 1990s uh, NFL featured a rise in the opportunities for black quarterbacks, but uh, the process kind of slowed down uh, after an all-time record 14 uh, starting black quarterbacks in the year uh, two thousand, and then it then it just slowed down a little bit after that.
2: Yes, I mean there there was definitely a burst of of opportunity in the nineties. I think that's in the wake of of Randall Cunningham, Warren Moon, Doug Williams winning a Super Bowl. There, that first generation of guys that really got an opportunity to play and succeeded, won, electrified the sport. Uh, and uh, I mean Warren Moon's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, you know, so uh, without a doubt shows that he could play and win. Randall Cunningham, no one had really ever seen a quarterback so electric with the Philadelphia Eagles, Uh, and and Doug Williams winning a Super Bowl. So that helped. And in the 90s, you saw more guys get a shot. But that next generation, uh, you know, didn't really take off. And uh, there were some successes. There were some failures. And very honestly, I think uh, the story of Michael Vick sort of – Uh, Vic is an amazing figure in this story, a polarizing figure. Uh, he represented all that was good about black quarterbacks in that, uh, the talent he had was just surpassing. No one had ever seen anything like it. He's the first black quarterback to go first overall in the draft. So I think that was good. But then in the end, his downfall with the, the, you know, the dog fighting and the things he lands in prison. I think all the things that ownership and teams were afraid of black quarterbacks, uh, you know, unfairly, just stereotyping, but they were, uh, I think he came to represent that, as Vic himself would be the first to say. And so uh, I think that set things back a little bit, and there was a definite slowing of progress.
0: And do you think that uh, made NFL personnel leery about uh, uh, drafting other black quarterbacks, the, the Michael Vick saga?
2: I, I do. I mean, you you still saw there, and there was a generation along with Vic when Vic's downfall in like 2006 and seven. I think uh, there was a first pick in the draft, Jamarcus Russell, with the Raiders, who did not pan out. Was not good. Was a bust. Just a flat, one of the biggest busts ever uh, in the NFL. I don't think that helped. Uh, you know, along the same time as Vic, uh, Vince Young came into the NFL, a really ballyhooed talent. Uh, and, uh, he did okay with, uh, Tennessee, but, uh, uh, you know, I don't think, uh, one, I don't think he ever won a playoff game. And so I think there was some hesitancy, uh, sort of the old, uh, questions, uh, sort of resurfaced and it really took the generation where things really changed. Uh, and I think we sit now in 2023, a very different situation, many, many more black starters, some of the highest-played players in the league, high draft picks. I think the the wheels were set in motion to get us started towards that point in the years 2011 and 12 when you saw draft picks. Cam Newton, Colin Kaepernick as a young quarterback, uh, Russell Wilson, Robert Griffin III, those guys came into the league, and really the league said they're so good, we're going to change our offices, offenses, we're going to let mobile guys do what they do in the NFL instead of making them drop back passers like we've always done. And uh, I think that's when you really saw football change and opportunity really spread open wide for black quarterbacks uh culminating or not culminating but reaching the point where we are now where there's much more
0: yeah much more athleticism from that uh position and uh it it, it really and and, and certainly uh, their mobility is is uh, is terrific and uh it took up until uh, well this, just this past Super Bowl in 2023 to have the first matchup of uh, black starting quarterbacks in the Super Bowl with Patrick Mahomes and uh, Jalen Hurts, and and this, despite the fact, I mean, that the majority uh, of NFL players, uh, you know, are black, and that's been the case uh, for decades. Just not at that position.
2: The the population, the black quarterback, it, it shows you that there there's still room to grow here because uh, the black population is half uh, at quarterback is half that on a percentage basis that it is at other positions. Yeah. So there is still skepticism, uh, even though as we see black, as we see teams uh, drafting black quarterbacks high, investing in them, giving them uh, the, the the keys to the offense. We see it happening now. There is still there is still some vestiges of of just doubt or skepticism, and uh, you know some of it is is uh, I, I mean you can call it racism. But, uh, you know, it's, it's just been in the DNA of this sport for so long. And, and the, these habits die hard. And so, uh, but when you see Hurts and Mahomes in the Super Bowl, both play unbelievably well. It, it's something to celebrate for sure. However, it, 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 there's two ways to look at it. Number one, that's great that we've come this far. But number two, what could have been? I mean, these guys are good, and there's definitely generations before them, guys that didn't get the chance, uh, that could have given the same support uh, from a franchise. So uh, it's a shame in that respect. But, uh, I mean, it's good to be moving forward, but there are definitely many, many guys in the trail of this story that I write about that uh, were frustrated, denial by stereotype, basically.
0: You know, I'm sad, and I know there's a lot in this book about uh, Colin Kaepernick, and I, I'm just sad that we never really saw. Uh, we did see some some flashes of brilliance, and he had, a, you know, a few good seasons in the NFL, but you know, you you kind of feel like you didn't see what might have been the best of Colin Kaepernick, and that's that's a shame.
2: Yeah, I approach him in this book. I mean, he's a, of course a huge figure culturally, socially and uh there's been books and movies and he's yeah. his own he doesn't need me to tell his story but, but in this book uh uh the i cast him i mean he's a young quarterback uh coming into the league and uh that has been lost i think in in what uh has gone on since then uh with the kneeling and everything that came out of that but as a young quarterback with the 49ers he was, I remember thinking, he might be like the best quarterback I have ever seen for, mm-hmm. for a brief period of time when he could run, he could throw, he, was, he, could, he could throw a 60-yard touchdown pass, or he could just run around in and run 60 yards for a touchdown. And he tore apart teams in the playoffs. He almost won a Super Bowl with the 49ers. It's kind of amazing that he didn't uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. It took a crazy goal line stand. Uh, for the for him not to win a Super Bowl, so he uh, was amazing as a young player, and uh, it, it sort of petered out a little bit. Uh, Jim Harbaugh was his coach now at Michigan, and and he left, and his uh, the performance fell off a little bit. Uh, but uh, there's no doubt that he had the talent to have a long and successful NFL career, and uh, eventually was denied that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. John Eisenberg, uh, it's a terrific book, and uh, I'm so glad that uh, we had the chance to spend a little time here today and talking about the book, Rocket Men, the black quarterbacks who revolutionized pro football. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for being with us today, John. Uh,
2: My pleasure. Thanks for having me on. I enjoyed it.
0: All right. Thanks so much to you, uh, John Eisenberg, one of the great football writers of uh, our generation and uh, a book well worth the read just out yesterday uh, as the pro football season will get underway tomorrow night in Kansas City with uh, Patrick Mahomes leading the Super Bowl champion Kansas City Chiefs against the Detroit Lions. Thanks to John Eisenberg, and thanks to you for uh, listening. Eric Rinston Lobel from the Concord Monitor will be joining us tomorrow on the program right here, WKXL nhtalkradio.com. It's Kale and Company Live, and we are presented by Northeast Delta Dental. Make it a great Wednesday, everybody.